My name's Tim. I serve here as teaching pastor and I get the, the privilege of unpacking scripture with you all. Hopefully not just kind of giving the last word of this is exactly how you should think about it, but hopefully uh, opening up the conversation, creating a space where God can speak to us, uh, creating a thirst for us as a community to continue to dive into God's word throughout the rest of the week, wrestling uh, to see what he might be speaking into our lives today, uh, but really enjoy getting to do it. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you can summarize kind of the goals of your life, two things, uh, loving God, loving people. Uh, everything else fits under these categories of, of uh, to, to follow Jesus. Everything we're doing fits under these categories of loving God, loving people in some way or another. Uh, but what we find uh, is often uh, it happens where we, we feel like we're, we're pursuing these ends, loving God, loving people, and we run into uh, discouragement or disappointment or frustration or confusion. And uh, this morning I want to talk about that, uh, kind of talk about um, what do we do with that. Uh, my sophomore year in college, I went to a Christian college in rural Indiana, Taylor University. And one of the, one of the things that Taylor had was a position, in the dorms, a position called discipleship coordinator. So I was a DC uh, on my dorm wing my sophomore year. And you, you run Bible studies and prayer groups and this kind of thing. And uh, in the springtime of my sophomore year, I, I had this uh, desire to I had this desire to run a uh, uh, a retreat, like a, a a couple a weekend retreat uh, where people get, get some time of solitude, um, get some time of silence on their own. Maybe we do some fasting and just kind of create a place where people could you know have this experience with God. That winter, I had been doing things with spiritual disciplines, just learning about it. It had been really encouraging to me. I wanted to share about that with, with some other guys. I wanted to teach them about that and hopefully give them an experience, help them encounter God through that. And, uh, and so I was, I was trying to put this weekend retreat together. Um, and, there's, and I wanted it to be for the whole dorm. And there's, you know, 350 guys in a dorm. So I thought, you know, maybe we get 35 guys would come out to this. And so I'm planning it. I find a place for us to do it. I'm advertising it, talking to people, putting signs up around the, uh, the dorm, encouraging people to come. And, and I, I just, I was excited. And part of it probably, too, was just kind of wanting you know, it had been a stressful year, and I wanted to feel successful. I wanted something to go well, like I did something for God. And, and so, you know, I thought, oh, maybe we'll get 10% of the guys. Yeah, 35 guys, that kind of thing. So get it all planned. The weekend comes, three people show up. Three, three random guys. My own friends didn't come. <laughs> like my good buddies, they're like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so uh, pretty much, you know, so we did this, this, you know, so we did it, you know, this kind of the solitude and fasting deal. And pretty much the end result for me was I was discouraged, I was disappointed, and I was hungry. That was kind of where it ended up for me. And, you know, I thought God, God wanted me to do this. I was trying to love him, love people. And it just, I was confused and disappointed at the end. And, uh, and I wonder... You know, in a room uh, like this, uh, my guess is we could share stories about that. The things that we felt, oh, God wanted me to do this, or, or this relationship, I wanted to pursue this relationship, or have this conversation. And, and, but it turns out to be confusing, or frustrating, or disappointing, not how we hoped it would. And uh, has, that, has that happened to you? Has that happened? Whether a big ministry thing, or a re specific relationship, a conversation. So has it, have you ever felt like, I, was, I did this thing, and, and nobody showed up? whether literally or metaphorically, that I thought this was going to happen, and it just didn't happen, and you're just disappointed and confused, and God, where are you at in this? 
This morning I want to look at uh, uh, Acts chapter 16. I want to look at, uh, it's actually uh, overlaps with some of the, the, the account that we looked at last week. Part of Paul and Silas' life, these two guys who are followers of Jesus. And uh, some, I want to look at a uh, time in their life where I think they might have felt some similar things. Of confusion, of disappointment, of frustration. And I want to, go, I want to enter into the story uh, with you and see if God doesn't say something to us by doing that. So, I invite you to turn to Acts 16, uh, starting in verse 6 is where we'll begin. And just by way of a little background, uh, Paul, he's in the middle of the book of Acts, he goes on three different journeys uh, where he goes out into the Roman Empire sharing about the story of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And this is the second of his three journeys. He's with a guy named uh, Silas. And... Uh, uh, they, um, just kind of to give you, orient you, they start in Jerusalem, they headed up north around Antioch, and then they've kind of gone, they've gone over to Derby and Lystra now, and uh, these are places that Paul went on his first journey, and now on their second journey, he's revisiting them, uh, and this is where we'll pick up the story, Acts 16, verse 6. So from Lystra, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. Pause there. So uh, can we go to this next? I think we have another map there. So they're in Lystra, and it says uh, they went through Phrygia and Galatia, went around there, and they tried to go over to the west to Asia, but the Holy Spirit said no. So they're okay, so then they headed up to the north, and they tried to go up north to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus said no. And so they went through Mysia, and then they came down to the coast, Troas. It's right there on the coast. And so, so imagine what these guys are going through at this point. So Paul and Silas, from Lystra to Troas... 600 miles, 600 miles on foot, 600 miles of wandering around, um, feeling, uh, getting no's from God, 600 miles of God, do you want us to go over here? No. Okay, God, do you want us to go over here? Uh, no. And ending up at Troas. Have you ever felt like you're wandering for 600 miles just getting no's from God? No, no, no. And they end up in Troas. They end up in Troas, and Troas now, uh, here's a picture of Troas. Troas, I mean, it's on the coast of the Aegean Sea. It's, it's a dead end. It's the, wa- it's the ocean. So they're, they're wandering, and they're like, okay, don't go to the left, don't go to the right. And they end up, they're like, okay, here's the coast. Where do we go now, God? Do we, should we start swimming? Should we, it's, just, it's, a dead, it's a dead end. They end up in Troas. God, where, where, uh, where do you want us to go? And so I just imagine what it would have been like that wandering 600 miles, nose from God, ending up in this dead end town of Troas. God, where do you want us to go next? I think, uh, I think if we if we you imagine Paul and Silas and, and they're being obedient to God at this point. And I think we have to take. I think one of the things I take away is apparently, apparently the life of following Jesus, it, the normal life of following Jesus can include confusion. Knows from God and dead ends. That this is, this is part of the normal life of following Jesus. These things aren't excluded when we're walking with God. 
So they end up here in Troas. And let's pick up again with the story. Verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen this vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they, uh, they, they're, they're in Troas, they're in this, God, where do you want it? You said no, we thought you wanted us to go to Asia, you said no. We thought we wanted to go to Bithynia, you said no. God, where do you want us to go? And Paul has this vision of this Macedonian man, Macedonia is northern Greece, he has a vision of this Macedonian man, and they conclude, they talk about, I had this, this dream last night, and they think, oh, mate, God, God wants us to go there, that is where we're supposed to go. Uh, so they feel like God, they, they had this dead end and God opens up a door for them, gives them a vision of the future, gives them a calling where they're supposed to go next. Have you ever, when, when have you had a moment like that? Think back of your, your walk with God. Have you had a moment? When have you had a moment where you thought this is a dead end? I don't see the way out of this, but God opened a door. We do have these moments. Yes, they're frustrated. There's also these moments of God opened a door. God gave me a vision of what was next. And yet, if we think about it, this vision of what was next, it didn't, God doing this for Paul and his team, it wasn't the removal of difficulty for them. The wandering and confusion they had gone through before was still real. The difficulties that lay ahead of them were still real. It was, it was like God opening up, God pulling the curtain back for a moment and saying, I'm with you. You're on the right path. I'm with you. And he, God, get, God pointed them ahead, but it wasn't, the, it wasn't the removal of all difficulties. It was God saying, hey, I'm with you. So they, they, uh, they follow these, uh, this vision. And here, here where, here's where they go. I think we have a map of this. Oh, no, we don't have a, the next map. Well, um, where they go is they go, from, um, they go from Troas. Actually, can you go back to the last map? Maybe I'll just point that out on there. So they go from Troas, and you see the, the brown line that goes across the sea, past Samothrace, up to Neapolis, and up to Philippi. Up, that's, now they're up in Macedonia. They follow this. They thought, okay, we're supposed to preach the gospel of Macedonia. So they head over to Philippi, which is in the, the northern part of Greece, Macedonia. And then let's go to that picture. Philippi, where they head next. Uh, Philippi, it's um, the city on this large, uh, kind of lush valley. It's an agricultural city. Um, this picture is taken from the top of an, the Acropolis, which is kind of up above Philippi here. You can see. Uh, next slide. There's the Acropolis. You see that big hill up there would have been temples and stuff. And then the city itself was kind of at the foot of it um, where, the, where that mountain hits the valley. And, can, um, and down there is the marketplace. Um, down at, in the middle of the, the, the Philippi city is the marketplace, which will pop up. Paul and Silas are going to end up there in a moment. So this is where they go. They feel called to Macedonia. And they go there, and, uh, and they, they go to Macedonia, and um, they go to Philippi. And last week we talked about this. One of the people they meet right away is this uh, woman named Lydia, uh, who was a God-fearer. She was a Gentile who worshipped um, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, and she becomes a follower of Jesus. Then they meet this slave girl there uh, who had the spirit, and she, had been, she was following uh, Paul and Silas around, saying, uh, harassing them, and eventually Paul... 
drives, in the name of Jesus, drives the spirit uh, out of this woman. And the slave, the owners of this slave girl, seeing that they lost the opportunity to make money off her, they drag Paul and Silas to court. And that is where we're going to pick up next. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they, uh, they, they, they meet this slave girl who had the spirit, and they drive the spirit out of her, but the owners of the slave girl are mad now. They can't make money off them. So they physically drag Paul and Silas to the marketplace. And in the marketplace, at one end of it, there was like this military headquarters. There's actually the sign outside the military headquarters is still there today. See that spear and shield? That was kind of the sign outside where the military leader uh, was. So Paul and Silas get dragged down there. And uh, the accusations that the slave owners make against Paul and Silas, they're, they're somewhat racist accusations. They, these men are Jews and they're not like us Romans. And it, if you study the history of the time... Claudius, the Roman emperor, had just expelled all the Jews out of Rome. So this time of anti-Semitism stirring around the Roman Empire, we see that coming to Philippi where they say, these men are Jews, they're not like us elite Romans. And so the crowd turns against them, and, they're, uh, and the, the magistrates order them punished, to be beaten with rods, thrown in jail. Now, these magistrates, the way this would have worked is they had, uh, the magistrates had these kind of um, official, I don't, I don't know, punishers that went with them called lictors here's a these these lictors carried these bundle of rods around with them it was a bundle of rod with an axe in it and uh these bundle of rods were called fasces and at any point if somebody was getting punished they would they'd take the bundle of rods down and they'd pull one of the rods out and then they they would they would beat the person who was being punished with it and this is what is happening to paul and silas they get beaten they get put into jail the, the inner cell, the, the darkest, dirtiest dungeon, and they get locked up there. If you were Paul and Silas, and you're in that jail cell, what would you have been thinking? You, you had wandered 600 miles getting nose from God. You get to Troas, you get this vision, Macedonia. Yes, God wants us to go to Macedonia. You go to Macedonia, and you, you, this, this Lydia, she becomes a follower of Jesus, and you run into the slave girl, you drive the spirit out, then you get beat up and thrown in jail. And now you're sitting in jail, you don't, you don't know what your fate is going to be. What would you have been thinking? What do you think they were thinking? Did we, was God, did you? Because we thought you wanted... And now we're here, and this is happening. If you were them, 
Don't you think it would have been easy to feel like, oh, we thought that we were going to come here and like revival would break out and everything would go great and we didn't think we'd get beat up and thrown in jail. God, where are you in this? Did you want us to do this? Are you still with us, God? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, God, we, I thought you wanted, but why is it like this then? Apparently, the life of obediently walking with God can include confusion and disappointment and resistance. That to, to obediently walk with God, it doesn't mean that those things aren't going to be part of the story. This is what happens next. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Now, now maybe, maybe you hear that and you, and you think, see, Tim, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay, they got in trouble, they ended up in jail, but then they get an earthquake. Where's my earthquake? Yeah, I've gotten to dead ends before. Yeah, I've gotten things that haven't turned out, but they get an earthquake. Well, here's a question. Who was the earthquake for? Who was the earthquake for? Yeah. Was it for Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas, the way, what happens next is the jailer, the jailer becomes a believer in Jesus. Paul and Silas go to his house. They baptize him. They have a meal with him. And then the next morning, the next morning, uh, the magistrates command that Paul and Silas are freed from jail and have to leave the town. So do you think God said, I'm going to give Paul and Silas an earthquake so they can get a bite to eat before they're freed the next morning? Is that what the earthquakes were? Could Paul, God knew they were going to be freed the next morning. It's not like they were on death row and this was an escape. You know, God knew. God, God's like, ah, they, I, they need to do a little midnight fast food run, so I'm going to get them out of there. And Is that what the earthquake was for? Because then the earthquake happens and they don't even leave the jail. The earthquake, the doors break open, the chains fall off, and Paul and Silas sit there. Don't worry, we're still here. They, it's, they, they, now they, they rescue the jailer because it would have been a jailer's life if they left. Who's the earthquake for? I think the earthquake, like you said earlier, was for the jailer. It's the jailer and his family. Their lives, their eternal lives are changed because of this earthquake. The rest of their lives and into eternity is different because of this earthquake. Paul and Silas, they get a bite to eat. The jailer and his family are changed for eternity. I think the, the earthquake is for the jailer. 
It's an opportunity. They, uh, the jailer sees the power of God. The jailer is forgiven by Paul and Silas. It changes, and he encounters God through it. But isn't it fascinating? Here you have Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, these, these devout men, these men with good intentions, these men loving God and loving people, these, these men who are far from home, they're sacrificing for God. And these, these devout men, they get, uh, they, they get, they get uh, arrested and beaten up and thrown in jail and run out of town. And then you have the jailer, this, this Roman pagan, ex-military, who knows what kind of violence and injustice he had been involved with, worshiping all sorts of other gods. He gets an earthquake to rescue him, to set him free from the spiritual slavery that he's in. And if you think, oh, this, that doesn't seem right, that doesn't seem fair, it shouldn't surprise us that, 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 that the God who, when, when Jesus described, what is God like? He says, God is like a shepherd who would leave his 99 safe sheep, recklessly leave them to go and chase after the one that was lost. He'll do anything for the lost one. It shouldn't surprise us that God is like this. But I would imagine, I would imagine, well, if I was Paul and Silas, I think I would still ask the question, Where's our earthquake? Where's my earthquake? Don't you think you'd be Paul? You'd be Paul the jailer gets an earthquake. Where's my earthquake, God? God, if this earthquake was for me, couldn't you have sent it like six hours ago before they were going to start beating us with rods? Where's my earthquake? Have you ever asked God, where's my earthquake? Have you ever asked that God that question? Where's my earthquake? I have asked God that question. I mean, not literally. But God, I see you showing up in this way for them. God, why aren't you showing up this way for me? And this is how it ends. Uh, Picking up in verse 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his old, his whole household. So uh, what happens is they go, uh, the jailer becomes a believer in Jesus. The jailer takes them to his house, which must have been right kind of part of the jail there right next door, and uh, washes their wounds um, and uh, I just, it's, it's just, it's a funny, it's a strange, I mean, think about, it. you got Paul and Silas, these middle-aged Jewish men, right? Thousands of miles from home. And here they are at this, this Roman colony, which would have been mostly made up of Greek and Roman people. And there's this, this Roman ex-military guy, there's just been an earthquake, now it's like 2 a.m., and he's washing their backs, and then they dunk him in a tub of water, and then dunk his whole family in a tub of water. Then they all sit down for a meal together. Do 30 a.m. I mean, don't you think it would have been one of those moments where they looked around and said, I never thought we'd end up here. <laughs> you know, they're having this meal in the middle of the night. And it, but to me, it's just, it's, it's just so, it's so Jesus-like. It's, it's, it's very, the, the fact that, that Paul and Silas be baptizing and sharing a meal with the person that was unkind to them just hours before, it's just, yeah, this, this is the kind of thing that Jesus orchestrates. And then the next morning, as I said earlier, the magistrates commanded them to be released and leave town altogether. And so 
They do that. They, they, gather, the early, they gather Lydia and the Roman jailer's family, all kind of the, the, the ones who had started to trust Jesus, the slave girl. They gather them together. They encourage them, the little Jesus family in Philippi. And then Paul and Silas, they leave town and move on. And so uh, I guess I want to end uh, with just a few reflections on what this might... What, how, okay, what might this speak into, this experience of when we love God and love others and how that leads to confusion, discouragement? What does this say into those experiences of our lives? And I have just a couple of reflections that I want to offer for us. And the first reflection is this. Uh, that following Jesus at times will be confusing and difficult. But he is still faithful. Following Jesus at times will be confusing and difficult. He is still faithful. If you are in that space today, if you are discouraged, if you are confused, you feel like you've been getting no's while you wander, I am sorry. Because that can be so hard. But I want you to know that doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. He's not paying attention to you. That he doesn't care about you. That he's not faithful to you. That is not true. And I think part of what we can see when we enter into this story is that those things, it's good for us to know that we live in a, in a sinful world, a broken world, and that those experiences will be part of our life of following God. And that when that comes, that confusion and difficulty and discouragement and resistance, that we shouldn't say, oh, God's not, he's not on the throne, or he doesn't care, he's not with me, or somehow I've wandered off the will of God, and now I've blown the whole thing up, and nothing's ever going to go right again. He is faithful to you. Not because of your faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. He's still with you. One reflection that those are normal parts of the life of following God. The second reflection uh, I would have is when things are uh, confusing and difficult, I think it's good for us to remember to count what counts. Count what counts. I imagine that for Paul and Silas, uh, if I were them, it would have been easy for me to say, one, you know, okay, Lydia, that's great, but she was already kind of on her way to God, and the slave girl, that was, that was crazy, and then the jailer, but God, this is three people, this is why you brought us here? God, where are the crowds? Where are the, what, why isn't this, why isn't the whole town turning to follow you? You gave us this vision, we went through all this suffering, God, what? And I think there's something about discouragement that's contagious in our lives, that we get discouraged. It can make us wear a, a, a set of green-gray glasses where we begin to devalue everything. We get discouraged about everything. It would have been easy for Paul and Silas to not count Lydia's life or the slave girl's life or the Roman jailer's life and to say to God, why didn't, God, you brought us here and this was so hard. Why didn't you do more? But I think Jesus says, they count, Paul and Silas, they count. They were enough for you to come here. I cared about Lydia. I care about the slave girl. I care about the Roman jailer. They count. Don't devalue them. 
if you're in that discouraging place, I think this this sense of um, an inability to see the good that Jesus is doing through you in the midst of the discouragement, in the midst of the confusion, to devalue the good that he is, the ways he is working through you, the way he is being faithful through you, because it doesn't line up with our expectations and to devalue it. If you, if you are if you're trying to love God and love other people, I don't mean perfectly, but I mean you are you you know you're sincerely that is your hope. He is using you. He is using you to change people's lives. A hundred percent guaranteed, no questions asked. Now maybe it won't always look like the way you thought it would, the way you dreamed it would. Maybe it didn't, in Philippi, it didn't look the way Paul and Silas thought it would, but he used them. And God counted those lives that were changed. We have to count what counts and not allow discouragement to color everything. A few years ago, I, uh, I was at a, a conference, a church kind of conference in Seattle. And... I was there with a friend um, from, from my undergrad days, and we randomly ran into this other guy that had gone to our same college. And we didn't know him super well. He'd been a couple years older than us, uh, but, you know, we'd been to the same, the same college, and we said, well, let's grab, you know, it was lunchtime, let's grab pizza together. So we, we go, we go to the pizza place, and we're sitting there uh, at the, the booth, and um, just kind of catching up and talking about shit, people that we all knew together, and, you know, what had been happening in everybody's lives, and... Uh, and this is, I don't know, it was probably 10 years after, um, after I'd been in, in college. And uh, he, uh, this guy, Mark, he had been a senior when I was a sophomore. And uh, we're getting ready to go, and we're saying goodbye. And Mark turns and he says, Tim, hey, I want to I tell you something. Uh, do you remember my senior year, that was his, and my Tim's sophomore year, his senior year, he says, do you remember that you did this like weekend retreat thing? I was like, yes, I remember the weekend retreat. <laughs> you tell me it didn't go well either. Yeah, no. Uh, he said, you know, I uh, I went. I was one of the guys that went on that, and I had totally forgotten this. He said I was one of the guys that went on that, and I just want to let you know um, that came at a critical time in my life. Uh, it was the end of my senior year, and I had some major decisions to make, and uh, and I just God used it in my life, and I want to tell you thank you. And he didn't go into what the decisions were or how, what God spoke to them over those couple days. Uh, but a decade later, um, he, he was in this place of that had made a difference in who he was then. And he wanted to make sure to say thank you. I know I'd, Ten years, I thought it was just a flop, a failure, worth, not worth my time. Um, I had to count what counts. We don't know how God is using these things. And it shouldn't surprise us. Our master, Jesus, the son of God, uh, he ended his life and he was betrayed by a friend. He was abandoned by the rest of his friends. He was rejected by the country that he came to rescue. And it was in this darkest of moments for Jesus that God used that for the rescuing, the forgiving, the adopting of any man and woman who would trust in him. It was this, this seemingly darkest of moments 
that God used for the rescuing of men and women who would trust him. And so when we go through these times of discouragement, confusion, resistance, uh, we need to remember. We need to remember he's done everything to forgive us, to adopt us, to continue to minister through us. Not because of how perfectly we can do it, whether we're faithful or faithless, whether we're hopeful or hopeless. He, he has a good path for us, but no matter how we are in the midst of us, he is with us. He's forgiven us, and He is continuing to work through us. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, um, you are uh, you are very good, and yet often your ways are paradoxical to us. We um, desire. Jesus, I desire to go from victory to victory. And yet, Jesus, when I look at you, I see that that is not the path your life took. That, uh, Jesus, that it was often um, in the things that look like defeats that you brought life to others. And so, uh, Jesus, I uh, commit my life, we commit our lives to you. And that you would, um, that you would minister to us this morning and speak to us about those things that feel like defeats feel discouraging or confusing would you speak to us and not not necessarily to give us the uh, the answer uh, but would you remind us about who you are what you're doing how you see us and your goodness and faithfulness to us and speak to us now we pray this in your name jesus by the power of your spirit amen